So we're breathing in through our nose, out through the mouth. Good. You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Lorelai Kennedy is creator of 10 Breaths Away, a program designed to help people regain their calm and say what they need to say. She's doing some really inspiring work, helping people from kind of amazing variety of backgrounds. So I think you'll enjoy our conversation and learn something new. The main thing that I do is I teach folks to breathe. And I know that sounds like, oh, everybody breathes. Why would you need to teach me how to breathe? But There is a difference between what happens in your body autonomically, where it just is on survival mode, where you're breathing. Yeah, where you don't die. Where you don't die, right? We try not to die with our breath and our food and that kind of thing. But there's a difference between controlling the breath and just letting your body do what it will. We see this most often in yoga, right? We go to yoga classes to learn how to calm down and breathe through poses and get air into our brains and our bodies. Well, what I do is exactly the same thing, only instead of taking bendy yoga poses, um, which I actually recently did a workshop and I told my sister about it and she was like, wow, that sounds great. I was like, yeah, it's like yoga, but less bendy. So what I do is I take these applications of different kinds of breathing exercises that pull not only from yoga, but from theater training and other explorations that I've just had and my own body as a a person and an actor. And I have put them all together in a series of sequences called 10 Breaths Away so that folks can have a structure of sorts to do intentional breathing in order to help their bodies and their minds calm down so that they can stand up and speak out and say whatever it is they need to say. Totally. Would you mind like sharing and like guiding me and listeners through one of those? Absolutely. So I have a, a signature starter sequence that I do. As you can no doubt tell, what comes next is one of the short breathing exercises that Lorelai uses with the groups she works with. I encourage you to join us if you have a minute to set down what you're doing and follow along with her instructions. But if it's a bad time, like if you're jogging or you're on the move or something, you can skip ahead to roughly the 7 minute and 30 second mark to pick up with the usual interview. The way that we always start is we stand in what is called actor neutral. And so you're standing nice and tall. Your feet are about hip width apart. Your shoulders are square. Your head is right on top of your neck. And go ahead and close your eyes. Actor neutral is just a way to get your body to start uh, getting some energy both from the ground and pulling it from the, the sky a little bit and just get yourself prepared. And the first thing you want to do is just take a breath in. It doesn't matter how you do it, just take a breath in. And then start to notice your heartbeat. You just probably stood up and you moved around a little bit, so notice your heartbeat. Is it fast? Is it slow? And once you get a sense of your heartbeat, start to dial in to what your breath is doing. Don't try to change it. Don't try to judge it. Just take stock of where your breath is coming into your body. Is it coming in through your mouth? Is it coming in through your nose? And then when it comes in, take stock of where it lands in your body. 
For most folks, and this is the reason why I designed this, is it lands in the chest, in the upper registers. And we'll hearken all the way back to our anatomy lesson in high school. Your lungs go from the top of your rib cage all the way down to the bottom. And most folks, when their breath slides in and sticks on the top of their chest, you're not getting full breaths, which means the air is not circulating in our bodies and the air is not getting through to our blood veins and our blood vessels and cleaning out that blood, which means cleaning out the oxygen and getting it actually flowing into our brains. So now that you know this little bit of anatomy, really start to take stock of what's happening in your body when you breathe in. So for example, breathe in through your nose, and start to notice where that breath goes. Is it in the top of your chest? If it is, exhale that breath. And breathe in again a little bit deeper through the nose and encourage the breath to go deeper into the lungs. And we'll do that again. Breathe out and in through the nose and out through the mouth. Good and keep doing that while I speak. One of the things that you're going to start to notice is if your breath is stuck up in your chest, your rib cage is going to start to expand at the top. And then as you breathe out, your rib cage will collapse at the top. That is not a full breath. A full breath is when you are breathing deeply in through your nose and your belly starts to get in on the action. So a full deep breath looks a little like breath in through your nose, your belly will start to pooch out as much as it can as a, as a balloon. And then as you breathe out through your mouth, that belly concaves back in. And that's where you have the experience of tight abs. So now that you know what a belly breath is, we're going to go back to the actual sequence. So go ahead and close your eyes again and take your free hand and put it on your chest. And again, breathe in through your nose. Make sure your belly is pooching out. And then breathing out through your mouth. And we're going to do this two more times. Breathe in through the nose, nice and deep. The belly should pooch out. You should feel like your lungs are completely expanded and out through your mouth. And one more time, in through your nose and out through your mouth. Good. At some point, if you had a second hand free, which you don't, you would put your hand on your belly. So you would have one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. And we're going to do that same breathing pattern again, in through the nose, out through the mouth, three times. And this time, you're really going to focus on the sensation of the air coming in through your nasal passages, sliding down past your windpipe and into your belly. And you want to make your lungs be a bellows as much as possible so that you can really feel your tummy expanding on the in-breath and coming in on the out-breath. So we're breathing in through our nose, nice and deep, and out. Good. We're going to do that one more time. In through the nose and out through the mouth, and one more time, in through the nose, out through the mouth, good, and let your hand gently fall to the side, now we're going to do this three more times again, and we're going to focus on filling up both the top and the bottom of the lungs, so we're going to breathe in through the nose, nice and deep, and out through the mouth, Again, two more times, in through the nose, and out through the mouth. 
and in through the nose and out through the mouth. And now shake that off a little bit and take a, a cleansing breath in any way that makes sense to you. And you have just completed the 10 breaths away starter sequence. Sweet. I feel good. Absolutely. I, I'm sure there's a, listeners might be able to tell there's a difference in my voice from when we started. You meet a new person, kind of nervous, starting an interview, a lot of information, just like walked up some stairs. And uh, I feel like just really mellow and centered. It's, Pretty nice. That's the whole idea. Um, the whole the whole idea of ten breaths away, particularly with this starter sequence, is that it gives you immediate tools that you can use. That takes you know, if you if you don't have what the two minutes that we stood up, you can modify the sequence so that maybe it's three breaths away and it takes thirty five seconds because you're walking into an interview or something like that. But um, this is designed to be immediate, practical tools so that you can walk into any situation and know, I can calm down, I can say what I need to say. On the flip side of that, I've got a whole workshop series worth of sequences um, that you can put together for a larger sequence so that it can maybe feel something a little like a, a yoga sequence or a warm-up sequence that you would use to really you know, get down and, and find some, some, some real gravity in what you're doing um, as you're rehearsing for whatever it is that comes up. Yeah. So who are the major groups and you know categories of people that you help with this? I teach uh, everyone from preschoolers to prisoners. I have been working pretty heavily with Northwest Children's Theater for the past couple of years, and I tend to work with preschoolers, and we work on social, emotional well-being and health, and we, we start every class in a circle, um, and we do three breaths, and then we have our class, and we end our class with a circle, which we do a hand squeeze, and then we do three more breaths. And this really puts a sort of um, consistent ritual that the kids can really hold on to. And it really helps center the class, just a way for the group to ground itself, have the activity, and then come back together and ground itself again. I also work with incarcerated men at the Columbia River Correctional Facility. Um, and 10 Breaths Away was actually almost fully developed stemming from my, my work with the incarcerated men. I have been volunteering in an arts and prison program for the last four years with Open Hearts, Open Minds. It's a place where I saw a whole bunch of different kinds of humanity come together in a room. And I have found that the um, communication skills in this population are pretty difficult and folks tend to be um, a little higher on the emotional side and, and, and take more offense at things a little bit quicker than sometimes we would outside on the streets. Um, and the uh, breath work that I do with the men in the prison really helps them get to know themselves in a way that they just don't have um, access to otherwise. So I think that, like, the common thread that connects both these groups is uh, the need for like emotional regulation mm -hmm. or like you know, being able to pull yourself out of like an intense mood, like either way. I think I was reading something like preschool's a pretty good predictor of um, whether someone will wind up in prison or like they'll drop out of high school or like all sorts of other things. And it's not because you're learning so much math or spelling or whatever in preschool that you fall behind other kids. It's all about behavioral regulation and knowing how to like 
interact successfully with other people. And if that gap forms at an early age, it's much harder um, to catch up later. Yes. So I think you're really right that the the common denominator is emotional regulation. And that does happen pretty intensely when you are consciously working on what's going on inside your body. And one of the reasons why people go to therapy is so that not only somebody can listen to them, but the trauma the body holds with things that happen to them and the words that you don't get to say to process them to anybody else, even yourself, gets stuck inside the body. And this is where people start to have not only physical ailments, but they start to have emotional ailments and difficulty regulating themselves, maybe flying off the handle or crying very easily. Or, you know, there's all kinds of things that go into, into that. But fundamentally, what the sequence is meant to do is to help you have some sense of self-control and regulation so that you know you are making the right choice in the moment. You're not just reacting to whatever is going on. Sure. So there's definitely a lot of value here. Um, And I think a a big step for a lot of entrepreneurs or people thinking about creating their own business is they know they're good at something. Like they know they can help a lot of people. How did you move from recognizing that value to getting paid for it? I have almost always gotten paid for the teaching that I've done. Um, I started teaching when I was about 22. I was in the middle of my undergrad. And having done theater for a long time, um, I started doing theater when I was 11. I was first professionally paid when I was 14. And I always sort of thought that I would want to go be an actor. And so I did a lot of things in Portland. I did some regional commercials. I got an agent. And he called me up one day and said, I have a thing for you. And I said, I just started classes. He's like, you have to go. I said, I can't miss this first day of class or else they'll drop me. He said, you need to choose. I said, I choose school. He hung up on me and I never heard from him again. About that same time, um, I've got a brother who's much younger than I am, and he had a special friend day at a school, and my mom couldn't go, and my grandma couldn't go, so he asked me to, and I showed up, and it turns out they had a residency um, with Tears of Joy Puppet Theater, and they had been working all week on um, this little puppet show, and they made, you know, milk jug puppets, and the kids were having a great time, and my brother's a pretty shy kid, but he got up there, and he was having a great time, and the teaching artist just was so amazing, and it finally clicked for me that oh my god you could teach kids for a job and get paid for it and I knew that's what I wanted to do so I continued to go to school for theater I actually got an internship with Tears of Joy Theater and I worked my way up to sort of being an assistant teacher to having my own full classes and from there um, I went to Oregon Children's Theater and a variety of different um, places here in town Um, so I have always taught because it's, I think, the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> uh, identify with that to some extent, for sure. How about specifically with 10 Breaths Away? That came about in two ways. I, uh, about four years ago, um, found Alexandra Franzen. She is a writer and writing coach, and um, I happened to take one of her workshops here in Portland, and one of the assignments was to write your own biography and then hand it to the person next to you who would then read your biography. And in the middle of this exercise, one one of the women got up and she was sitting next to her friend who had handed her her biography, and she just had a a moment of distress where she got choked up and not embarrassed, but a little uh, verklempt about having to read 
and it wasn't like a particularly personal bio, but to read these things about her friend, she just like had a moment because there was 25 other women staring at her. And I could see her, just the top of her chest started to heave and she wasn't actually breathing. And my teacher instincts just kicked in. And I just got up and I said, may I touch your chest? And she said, yes. And I put my hand on her chest and I led her through what turned out to be a 10 breath series of uh, breaths and it calmed her down, it calmed the room down and she was able to go ahead and read the bio out. About six months after that, I started to go to the arts and prison program and started to realize that sometimes the discussions got a little bit heated and there was a situation where I think I was facilitating on my own. So I was a female in a group full of probably 17 or more prisoners and there was a thing that came up. I got a little heated and I had to calm it down in the moment. So I stopped what was going on. I made everybody get on their feet, close their eyes, and start to breathe. It turned out that it was a 10-breath series, and then I just impromptu ended it with, you're only ever 10 breaths away. And that's where the idea of teaching people to breathe in order to calm down and say what they needed to say really started to solidify. And so I've been working on developing the 10 breaths away sequence and workshops for uh, pretty concertedly about the last two years or so. Yeah. Is there, is there anything surprising you've learned in particular from working with the incarcerated men? Yeah. Um, the most surprising thing is that they are human beings and they are some of the smartest people that I've ever met. They say the smartest things I've ever heard. I take them into my heart and sometimes change my life based on what somebody has said. Um, they are some of the best musicians and writers and fine artists that I have ever come across. And they ask us all the time, why do you come here? Why do you volunteer? Why do you spend two and a half hours every week in our presence? And both myself and Johnny Stallings, my co-facilitator, what we say is, because we look forward to it. I like spending my time with a group of like-minded people. And it doesn't matter where the room is or what the situation is. I don't look at them as criminals necessarily. I hardly even know what it is they've done because once they cross that threshold of the room, it doesn't make any difference. They're here to experience fellowship and art and be uplifted. That's really cool. You, you talked on the phone about uh, wanting to set up like a nonprofit entity around it. Mm -hmm. So what, why a nonprofit as opposed to a for-profit entity? Because it seems like you're creating like a lot of value for the people that could just like pay you directly for that. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. First, and coming from the other part of my life, um, what has sustained my art is that I have done increasing levels of bookkeeping and financial business consulting for a variety of folks. And I know finances and business management and how to run a business incredibly well. And having a nonprofit wing of 10 breaths away will really allow me to get much larger concentrations of money at once. You know, simply a, a, a nonprofit is you give a service and somebody gives you money and they get to take the tax write off. And so part of what I'm doing in this nonprofit realm is targeting really big money that 
a workshop or something else necessarily out in the world wouldn't garner me such a lump sum. Um, and by getting those, it allows me to further take time away from whatever's happening in the outside world and actually work on creating the, the process and the sequences on them on themselves. Interesting. So, so it's really about like minimizing the time you have to spend fundraising. Yeah, yeah. There's there's certainly an aspect of needing more time than the world can give. Yeah. But also I think that nonprofit work just on a personal level is really important because it's not necessarily always about making the money. Sure you have to live, but there are ways to reach people that you actually can't without having nonprofit status. And if I'm going to reach the amount and the kind of people that I want and need to reach with 10 breaths away, then um, going the nonprofit route is really the, the right one. Which isn't to say there won't be like an actual profit end of it. Um, what's in between the prisoners and the preschoolers are a whole cadre of women that, as we have been learning in the media with the Harvey Weinstein and the Larry Nasser um, stuff going around, that women just on a basic level don't get to say what they need to say. And even if they're saying it, people don't believe them. So the group in the middle are all of these women like myself who've had a you know hard time coming up and have by just being in the culture, particularly our American culture, have learned not to speak up or they learn to speak up in roundabout ways and then they don't actually get what they want. So the profit portion of where this comes in is I have um, been partnering with Tokativity, which is a cannabis-friendly, women's-only event company. And I have found a whole new group of people that need to be able to calm down, stand up, and speak out and say whatever it is they need to say. And so we have done some workshops, which made a tidy profit. I will be doing other workshops for women and for businesses um, on a private level. And that will certainly be a facet of just pure profit where it comes into me and I don't have to, you know, necessarily tell a board about what's going on with it. But I think that there's room for in what I do, both profit and a nonprofit. Not that I'm a uh first-hand expert in this, but it seems like a, ch a definite challenge for women is just being heard and taken seriously. And that seems like a really good way of addressing that. Yeah, yeah. I, prior to working with Tokativity, had not taught women-only workshops. They've been mostly mixed children or men only. And I didn't really realize the power of women coming together for a specific reason and making real change in themselves in an hour and a half that they then took and put out to the world at large. And I think that it's really important today that women get really comfortable with saying what they need to say and feeling like even if somebody's not going to listen in this moment, my voice is strong enough that somebody's going to listen and I will be heard, even if I have to break down the door. But I'm not going to lose my voice, and I'm not going to lose myself. I'm going to stand strong. So what are your plans for growing this organization? Two things 
immediately. I have just created and started my own program at the prison called Art at Its Best, and it takes all of the tools of theater and 10 Breaths Away, learning how to communicate, collaborate, calm down, and we use that as the foundation to start to set goals and create a life plan on the inside three to six months before they are released so that once they are released, they have a fairly steady idea of what they want to do, what the steps are to do those things, and then they make a commitment to myself and the cohort that they've created that when they are released, they come and they meet with myself and them um, at least once a week so that they can not only get additional support, but they can feel like, oh, I still have a community around me. Part of that will be wrapped into the nonprofit. That's where a lot of the nonprofit donations will go toward helping these guys, you know, sometimes they don't even have clothes. Like you don't get to keep the clothes that you're booked in because often you are booked in a jumpsuit because you've been transferred from another prison. So if you don't have clothes, they throw you out on the street with a thin jumpsuit and a pair of, uh, they call them cruisers, but they're like cheap Payless van kind of shoes. And so this class is designed to give these guys a leg up in a way that programs in the prison just don't offer. And then on the other end of it, I will still be focusing on teaching women and creating workshops specifically for women so that they can have this same experience and come together and say it, what it is they need to say. Um, so what are your plans for growing this organization? Success will look a lot like what I'm doing now. I have pretty complete freedom over my days other than classes to teach. I think in the larger picture, the way that things will change is to do more workshops out of state. I know a lot of folks who, you know, run theaters and other places, and I've got friends in other countries. And so what I'd really like to do is to more fully execute this idea, both nationally across the U.S. and internationally. How would you do that? It starts with just talking to who you know and doing tiny workshops and getting the word out and then internet, right? So I guess I haven't really talked about the internet version of these things. I, as you may be able to tell, am generally all about like the in-person experience. But one of the things that I have um, definitely heard feedback from both the men inside and um, some of the women that I've taught is that they would love to be able to access these things on demand. So the other portion of what I'm doing is on my website, 10breathsaway.com. I will also have a membership website where folks can buy the full workshop experience and there will be 10 different modules based on the sequences that I teach in workshops and they can buy those and either watch them, you know, one at a time or start to create their own sequences. Um, and that's meant to be a membership site where folks can feel like, oh, I've got some ownership over what I'm doing with myself and my body, but also it's a place where um, if they don't get a chance to come to an in-person workshop, they can actually have a sense of community and start to talk to folks about what's going on with them, but not on Facebook. If you had an extra hour a day, how would you spend that hour? I start most days in the bathtub with a book. I think I would end most days uh, in the bathtub with a book if I had an extra hour a day. Okay, so perfect for the follow-up question. What do you like to read? So just purely for pleasure, I read mostly historical fiction books, which is stuff like set in Elizabethan times, but they're like made-up stories about the real figures. And sometimes, you know, they sort of like 
edge on like kind of romancy kind of things. Doesn't necessarily go toward mommy porn, but it's definitely like, yeah, you know, the, the, yeah. <laughs> on the edge, you know, High like there's, there's certainly a lot of history that's true, but then there's a lot of like liberties that are taken with said history. So like just for pure pleasure, I'm reading those things. But on the other end of it, you know, I read a lot of like books about breathing and I love the library. The library is definitely my second home. And I was just in the library the other day and I picked up a couple of new books. One is called Buzz, which is the history of um, sex toys. And then the other one, I can't remember the name of it, but it is a series of essays on Gwendolyn Brooks, who is an African-American female poet. And she is definitely one of the women that started to change the fabric of the world with her words. Interesting. Uh, do you have a book recommendation when it comes to breathing or mindfulness or anything related to the work you do? Yes. A lot of my basis of what I do from an actor's perspective comes from the books written by Cicely Berry. And she is the voice well, now retired because she's a very old woman, but she is the voice coach for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And my acting teacher, Devin Allen at Portland State University, worked really heavily with her. So I have a direct lineage of Cicely Berry's work. And so her she's books... She's like your grandmother. She's your, a little, yeah. Your theater grandmother. She is yeah. a little like my theater grandmother. And so I, um, I would say pick up anything by Cicely Berry, particularly a very slim volume called The Actor's Voice. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for sharing your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. If you thought this episode sounded better than most, you're probably right. This episode was produced by Nick Woodbury. I tried my hardest to find someone with a different name from my own, but in the end, he seemed like the best guy for the job. I'd like to give him a huge thank you for his help with this episode. Also, now is a better time than any for you to leave a review. We're going to grow this podcast to the moon, and we want your help to get there. Help others discover why try by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your stuff. Or better yet, tell a friend about this episode. I think the world is full of people who need to learn to breathe. <sighs> It'll make the world a more relaxed and loving place. You can find a complete list of Why Try episodes at nicholaspeel.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And I encourage you to follow our Twitter feed at Why Try Podcast for more things entrepreneurial and Portlandy. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, whose prized herd of goats almost got them into trouble with a medium-sized cyclops living in a cave on Mount Tabor. You can listen to the band by poking around the many bars and music venues of Portland or by visiting cepdx.bandcamp.com, Apple iTunes, or Spotify. Thanks for listening.